Welcome to Silly History, I'm Matt Pekarski. I love funny stories, especially when they come from real life. I've compiled a long list of true tales that made me laugh, and now I want to share them with you. There's a lot of crazy stuff historical figures did or said, and yet we've never heard about them. History class would have been a lot more interesting with some of these sprinkled in here and there. Not that I ever disliked learning history. Hopefully there's at least a couple of yarns you haven't heard before. Let's hear one now. The Convair F-106 Delta Dart was designed to be the ultimate interceptor of fighter jets. When it first took off in 1956, it wasn't armed with a gun or bombs, but with the Hughes AIM-4 Falcon air-to-air missiles, the first of its kind. They were stored in an interior weapons bay to help with achieving supersonic flight. The F-106's new electronic guidance and fire control system allowed the pilot to relinquish control after takeoff and the system would bring the plane to its proper altitude and attack position. It would fire its missiles, break off the attack run, and fly back to the airbase. The pilot took back control to perform the landing. The F-106 served during most of the Cold War era before retiring in 1988, and yet it was never flown in combat. And on a brisk February morning in 1970, four pilots at Malmstrom Air Force Base, just outside of Great Falls, Montana, were ready to take off on a routine training exercise. Major Tom Curtis immediately lost his wingman, Larry McBride, when Larry's drag chute unexpectedly deployed before takeoff. Tom would be on his own in the dogfight against his two mates, Major Jimmy Lowe and Captain Gary Faust. All three men soared into the sky, flying 20 miles away from each other to assume their start positions. When they got the signal from ground control, they turned around and sped back toward each other. As they passed at high speeds, Tom considered the skill levels of his two opponents. Gary was the younger and less experienced of the two, and Tom knew that he could eliminate him faster. With that in mind, Tom slammed down on his throttle to gain the advantage in speed. At Mach 1.9, he pulled back on his control stick and the jet pitched upward until it was perpendicular to the ground far below. He watched Gary and Jimmy pull up after him. Tom swerved around them in a serpentine fashion. He pulled wider on each turn to keep his speed up while gaining altitude. Gary and Jimmy responded in a similar way, creating a scissors effect between the aircraft. Tom waited for his fellow combatants to drop away, but they kept after him with dogged determination. At 38,000 feet and flying over 500 miles per hour, Tom pulled a high-G rudder reversal barrel rolling over Gary to take him out from behind. Gary was quick to respond. He also pulled hard in an attempt to counter Tom. Unfortunately for Gary, his plane lacked the energy to hold its position. The plane violently shuddered as it stalled. Gary pushed his stick forward, hoping to break the stall, but the aircraft wouldn't pull out, rapidly descending into a flat tailspin. Tom watched Gary plummet toward the earth. The tip of the plane's nose seemed to stay at a fixed point while the tail violently rotated in a wide sweep. In an F-106, there is no recovery from this scenario. Tom still walked Gary through the recovery procedures over the radio. Gary deployed his drag chute in hopes it would lift the tail, but it got caught and wrapped around the vertical stabilizer. It was no use. Now at 15,000 feet, Gary had only one option. He set the trim to the takeoff position slowed the throttle to idle, and pulled the seat's ejection handles. 
The armed guards rotated into a horizontal position, the safety lock released, and the canopy was forcefully detached from the body. Gary catapulted into the sky and his parachute deployed. As he floated downward, being carried wherever the wind fancied, he watched his plane do the exact opposite of plummet to the ground and explode into a thunderous fireball. Thanks to the steps he took before ejecting, coupled with the force of the ejection, the plane's nose was pushed down, breaking the stall and spin. Gary watched the plane level off and glide its merry way toward the flat plains and farm fields below. Tom and Jimmy were just as stunned. Gary, Tom said jokingly over the radio, you better get back into that thing. The plane wobbled its way down at about 200 miles per hour, and just before impact, it inexplicably leveled out with its nose slightly high. It lightly touched down and skidded gracefully across a snow-covered alfalfa field. As it approached a low stone wall, the plane miraculously skidded enough to not only avoid crashing into the wall, but also slide right through a gap in the wall and into a neighboring field, where it finally came to a stop. The farmer called the sheriff, who reported it to the Air Force. The sheriff made his way over to the crash site and found the plane's engine still running. He climbed onto a wing and peered into the cockpit. The radar system was still sweeping for targets. He quickly jumped down after the plane suddenly jerked forward a few feet. Every time the snow melted under it, the plane lurched a couple of feet further. The airbase gave the sheriff directions on how to shut it down, but out of the small crowd of farmers and law enforcement that had now gathered, no one wanted to go near it again. They decided the safest thing to do was to let it run out of fuel. An hour and 45 minutes later, the engine finally shut down. After the flight of the plane that is now referred to as the Cornfield Bomber, the Air Force disassembled and trucked the jet back to the Malmstrom base. They reassembled it, and much to their surprise, found that the damage was only superficial. It was quickly repaired and put back into service. Gary Faust even got the chance to fly it again during another training mission. When it was retired in 1986, the Cornfield Bomber was presented to the National Museum of the United States Air Force, where it remains on display to this day. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, give it a five-star rating, and share with not one but two of your friends. If I haven't told your favorite silly story from history, send me an email at nightowlbroadcasting at gmail.com. Subject, Silly History Story. This show is a Night Owl production.